0: I am so glad that you are here this morning. This one Sunday of the year that we just don't worry about time. If we're three, four o'clock getting out of here. It's all right. Actually, no, that's not. We're concerned about the time. If I'm not, the elders are, I can tell you that. Um, It is good to be with family on this day. I was so glad that. David directed us to praying for families. And I will say that we have families who are suffering. Maybe a greater number than I can remember. Uh, suffering at high levels. Uh, maybe that has not touched you. But you have a role in this suffering. We are called to suffer or we are called to come alongside the suffering. And as Scott mentioned, Barbara Stevens almost died this week. Chemo, of course, attacks of ke- immune system anyway but it just completely destroyed it almost so they're having to rethink it Lisa Pelton and these are names some of you don't you don't know these people they're relatively new in our body and we're spread from Holly Springs to Dunn and then some uh, and so it's difficult to know everyone but please in this bulletin that you have you're part of this family be praying for these people Lisa they, they think it's a black mold issue. Our elders went and anointed with oil the other night and prayed, and she's suffering, doing better, some better, but um, still quite a struggle. And then there are many others, as you know, that are uh, facing a lot of problems. Elise with her chemo, great news. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, that the, the tumor is, is shrinking. Uh, But the ongoing struggle that the physical conditions cause with so many of our families. Um, But it's good to be with family. We're going to have a lot of family. We've got family from Australia, Spain, wherever they're living now. Uh, The Cottons, Allison's brother, David and Catherine and Josh and, and Laura are here. Sophie is home with a migraine headache, but... So they're here, and then the rest of them come in this weekend. We have, I think we're serving 25 for Christmas dinner. Uh, so pray for me. You know, Allison's got it. Yeah, she's got it easy. Just She can sit back with her feet up and relax. But um, Now, you know where the prayer belongs uh, for this, this coming week. So we've got a great time. But listen, I, I wanted to say this. All that to really just to, to say this. We're going to continue the family theme on Christmas Eve. Uh, When I first came to Grace, Christmas Eve was just such a special time for me at home with the family. We just love being at home. And they said they got a Christmas Eve service. I said, oh, okay, okay, all right. Well, I'll go. I mean, from the first minute of the first service, I was hooked. It it is a wonderful, wonderful service. We start at 5 o'clock. Um, and we're doing our best to finish in an hour. Um, we we will light the candles together at the end. It'll be dark outside, but it's still plenty early to have your Christmas Eve festivities. If at all possible, please come. And by the way, the deacons serve us so very well. I wonder if nobody told me to say this, and I may be messing something up, and I'll be reprimanded in the staff meeting tomorrow. But uh, if you would, let's... After the service, let's get this front row out of here and put four tables up, get ready for communion services. What we do at Christmas Eve is that we come by families. Um, it used to be that the head of the home would lead the service, but we, we the elders now do that. We'll have one elder at each station, and your family will gather around, take communion together as a family toward the end of the service. It's really a beautiful time together. So if you would, and if you're here in single... Uh, look, we've got lots of families that love you deeply, and they will welcome you into their family. Well, I want to ask you, uh, since since we're family, I just want to ask you a personal question this morning. Have you done something this past week that's worthy of, I, uh, well, I don't know, maybe... It's worthy of death. I mean, is there anything for which that you have done for which you might be arrested and executed? Well, that's a silly question, isn't it? I mean, that's a, it's a silly question according to the laws of our land. But what if you lived in North Korea and you had done some of the things that you did this week? I mean, if you looked at Facebook this week... Look, I'm, I'm just glad that there are not laws against stupidity. I'd be first to go. But, um, you know, it's, so, it's crazy out there, you know, in our, in our society. So back to the consequences of your actions. Have you done anything worthy of death this week? Well, let me answer for you. Yes, you have. If that offends you, then no doubt you're thinking about life in this country or life really in any country. But how would you stack up against the laws of God, against God's law? I mean, obviously, Old Testament men and women sinned, and they were not executed on the spot. So what's that? About the Israelites repeatedly violated the law without suffering immediate consequences. So what was the purpose of the law if it wasn't enforced? Well, look, any society has to have laws in order to protect its citizens, right? I mean, we, we all recognize that some laws must exist. We made... I can't tell you how many trips to the airport we've made in the last two days. And we all agreed that the cops at the airports are sent to the lack of charm school. I mean, you cannot. If you have too much charm, you cannot. Look, we got cops in this room, and they're big guys, some of them. So I'm on a limb here. Please pray for me after the service. (laughs) Joel over here, Joel, you want to stand up? And No, no, that's okay. <laughs> I'm already in trouble with him. I really don't want to go any any deeper. But, look, so, but but, but, but you know what? It's a necessary evil, isn't it? I mean, as far as, I, I didn't mean that literally evil, guys. I promise. Jeremy, I'm sorry. I'm getting in tr- worse trouble as I go. They're all up here, too. But, you know, they, look. When you think about what could happen, you're glad those guys are there saying, move on, move on, even when you want to wait for your loved one because of the cons- or the potential devastation that could happen if they're not on top of their game. So God's law it was given to provide stability and, and for the benefit of all who lived in 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 a particular society, we're not to be trusted as it stands. There have to be laws. And so the law, not only though, was given to control behavior within society, it was also given to point out man's sinfulness, and it does so by... Presenting a standard that is absolutely impossible to keep. I mean, you find that true with regard to our law, don't you? Is there anyone who did not commit a traffic violation on the way over here, coming over here? I mean, you you didn't cross the center line just the slightest bit. You, You didn't go two miles over the speed limit. You didn't... Execute a rolling stop, which is an oxymoron, by the way, a rolling stop. Oh, that's being ridiculous. I didn't stop. It's not like I stopped and robbed a convenience store on the way over here. Well, it is true that we have to set varying penalties for the breaking of the law, of different laws. I mean, surely there is wisdom in forcing violations of minor violations of, uh, of traffic regulations than robbing a bank or committing a terrorist act. We all get that. But see, that's part of the problem when we think about, about our relationship with regard to His law. We tend to build categories that, in fairness, God built into the law. There were different Penalties and consequences for different violations of the law. But our categorizing gives us an adequate understanding of how God looks at sin. We begin to think, okay, well I did this, nobody's perfect. Of course nobody can obey every re- regulation every day. We're going to all do something along the way that gets us in trouble. But it's really not trouble because everybody does it. And so consequently we all get one another a break on it so when you look in the mirror do you consider yourself a lawbreaker or lawless I, I doubt it i doubt it but now that house two neighborhoods over where they make crack cocaine and and what's what's up with that well those people are lawbreakers and we need to do something about it but how does god view our sin, in in the end that's what matters right? I mean if you're riding in a car with somebody who does something ridiculous right in, you know there's a policeman up there and you say hey, 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 there's a policeman up here and they say look I'm not hurting anybody and texting you know whatever what makes the difference what you think or what the policeman thinks about whether you're doing something crazy or not well exactly So how does God view our sin? Look at James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Now, look, you got to know the context of James, too. James is saying, you talk big about your faith. But if your life, if your actions don't back up your faith, I'm wondering, do you really have faith? So that's in the context that he says, look, you break one law, you're accountable for the whole thing. James is encouraging us to live as if we believe in Jesus and if we follow him. And right in the middle, he stops and he says, you know what? It's impossible to live completely for him because if you break one law, you're accountable for the whole thing. So in God's eyes, if you cross the center line one time in your driving career, you're just as accountable as if you blew up the Twin Towers. Is that fair? No, of course not. Not according to sinful man's standards, but, that, but, but, but we're not dealing with each other when we have to think about our sin. We're dealing with the holy and perfect God, who is so holy that it would be, and that's kind of redundant, redundant when you think about it. He's so holy. But God is holy and His character will not allow Him to wink at sin any more than your character will allow you to sell drugs. Do you plan on selling drugs next year? Crack? ecstasy, do you plan on get- okay well, the pharmacist, yes <laughs> so I asked her, way to go, leanne. I asked the question, do you plan on selling drugs? she's like <laughs> maybe I should have used another uh um. Do you plan on selling ecstasy next year illegally? Okay, good. We've got that cleared up. Well, it's just to say, Leanne, I think you are. I think you're doing something on the side. That's to impugn her character just the way it would be to impugn God's character to say, it's not fair that I am this really good person, and this is an evil, horrible person over here, does wicked things, and you're going to treat us just the same? well yes that 's the standard of the law that 's the standard of god 's law and it may it 's not fair because fairness is is a measure that we determine what 's fair to me is not fair to you right and vice versa uh, Just watch two kids getting a piece of cake you know it's like that 's not fair no you 're not fair you 're this that and the other it 's just on and on so should God allow sinful men and women, to live in His presence as if nothing ever happened. No, a million, billion, trillion times more no than we would say Leanne's going to sell drugs next year. No, God cannot allow sin in His presence like that. Who's sinful? All of us. Who's accountable for the worst imaginable violation of God's law? We all are. That's the way it works. So we're in a quandary. Sinful people are accountable for the worst possible crime, and we will be punished accordingly. Then it looks like we will all be punished. So, in fact, I really wasn't out on a limb this past, at the early part of the message when I said this past week, have you committed any act that's worthy of death? yes all of us have this week and if you somehow have believed into a theology that would let you say no i have not sinned this past week please let's talk about that sometime um so we have so is there any really hope yes that's what this season is all about hope in jesus But our hope is not just because December makes me feel this way. As Kenny Loggins sings, and I love that song. But it's not just about that. It's not just because family comes together and everybody gets to see one another and remember what's really important in life. It's not just because it's this time of the year when we do our annual I want to help my fellow man bit. Which may be hurting the people we're trying to help far more than it's helping them. And it's almost certainly hurting us. We don't have time for that discussion. But we're going to talk about it this next year when we return to Mark. About how we help others. And so much of the time it's really helping ourselves. We're just throwing crumbs and then saying, Wow, didn't I do a good thing? What does it mean that there's hope in Jesus? that is coming changed everything. Well, I promise you this, we understand more than Mary and Joseph understood. We understand more than the man and the woman the shepherds understood and the man and the woman that we're going to meet this morning in our text. And also the the wise men who will come come later, by the way, not at this particular time. And when they came to worship Jesus, we get it more than they do. It's going to take A life lived perfectly in accordance with God's law. And the sacrifice of one who is perfect and eligible to pay for our sins. And then it's going to take the resurrection of Jesus to understand fully what it meant that he came to earth. We should also say it's going to take the coming of the Holy Spirit to help us make sense of all of this. To make sense of the truth that is taught in the word of God. The, the resurrection was, if you will, God's stamp of approval on Jesus' sacrifice. His death on the cross, it was the stamp of approval saying, I accept Jesus' payment for your sin if you will believe. It's an assurance that all who believe on Jesus will avoid the second death, of which Revelation 20 speaks And will instead receive eternal life. This morning our text is Luke 2. Verses 22 to 38. We're going to pick up right after last week's message. Where Jesus was circumcised on the 8th day of his life. So here's our schedule for the remainder of this morning. We're going to pray. Won't stand for the reading of the text. Because we'll just work our way through it. Really fairly quickly. Make a few comments here or there. And then we want to take time to contemplate together in by way of testimony. We'll have microphones and everything for you to stand and share how the mystery of the carnation has been playing in your heart and mind. Over these last few weeks as we've been looking at Luke or just as you've been thinking about, the true meaning of Jesus is the reason for the season. Um, That song that the worship team sang while the offering was being played. Come behold this wondrous mystery again. If we have time, we're going to do that again. That was beautiful and profound. I was thinking about the difference of the presentation of the gospel this morning. With the service that we went to last night. It was very subtle. It's very direct here. But. That doesn't mean it's always received. And again, we'll talk about that a little bit. But let's get started. Let's pray and then we'll jump into our text. Father, as I look at my own life this past week, I just say, thank you, Jesus. I'm in desperate need of you. I have nothing to offer. That is any good. And Lord, <clears throat> I, there are so many in our family, God, our body, who are suffering, and people who we would consider and the world would consider incredibly good people. It's not their sin, but the sin. The sin of Adam. The sin that all of us bear in our souls. That wreak such havoc on our bodies and our minds. That sin that Jesus came to do something about. And so flood our hearts this morning with the truth of who Jesus was, of who Jesus is, and what that means for us. May we marvel and wonder at the mystery of the Incarnation. In Jesus' name, amen. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall call, be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Do you, is it, do you see a common theme in this text? Okay, now do you see a common theme in this text it's the law of the lord. In fact, we're going to see this mentioned yet again in our text. Joe, Joseph and, and Mary were law-abiding citizens of Israel even though Israel did not exist as a nation per se. They were not lawbreakers. They did their absolute best to keep the law. That's the reason they were in the Jerusalem temple 40 days after Jesus was born. For these Purification rites for these sacrifices according to the law. So think about this. Now Joseph and Mary and Jesus were in the um, temple 40 days after Jesus was born. And then the wise men came and the, the very night the wise men came to worship Jesus. Joseph and Mary and Jesus, Jesus got out of town and went to Um, Egypt so no wise men on the night Jesus was born that's going to mess up a lot of nativity scenes let me just encourage you go home take your wise men and put them somewhere else you know I mean have them in the house that's fine but just put them or have two baby Jesus you know and and have a wise man over here and say oh yeah this is like days or even years later uh, when they came so why do you think Joseph and Mary offered a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons instead of a lamb, which was a preferred offering? Why did they? Because they were poor, right? God made provision in his law for the poor. Um, <laughs> but he didn't excuse them from giving. Oh, well, they're poor, so don't expect them to... Well, no, God expected. He just said, okay, everybody give According to your ability to give. If you can't afford a lamb for a sacrifice, then bring two pigeons, two turtle doves. I have mentioned a couple of times, and Scott has mentioned it as well in the prayer time, that we have a lot of people in need. I, can you imagine um, extending your deductible to the very max? Just days before, and most of it came in this last few days. Just days before your policy renews and you got to start all over again. Can you imagine it? We have a lot of people with deep financial need in our church. So next week at our benevolence offering, I just want to encourage you to give generously. You always do, but, but maybe just a little bit extra. And if you say, look, I can't afford it. Just what if you're in their shoes? And I can promise you, anyone receiving, and I know we've got people that we would love to help that are going to say, no, 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 the Lord will take care of us. Anybody receiving would rather be giving. Don't you think? But if God has called you to receive, do so just as graciously as you would be giving. When the wise men get to Bethlehem, They're bringing expensive gifts and, in fact, a bag of gold, some cash. That's probably what Joseph and Mary used when they went down to Egypt before they got back to Nazareth. So what were they doing? Receiving benevolence. Now, it came directly from God, but I promise you, any benevolence you receive from this church comes directly from God. That's the way God has designed it all. But let me just encourage you, if you're really struggling financially, do not wait to start giving. I don't talk about giving much, but I, not nearly as much as Scripture does, not nearly as much as Jesus did. Do not wait until things are better to start giving. You can't afford to wait. It's, it's, it's part of the design that God has for His children to be givers. So even As Joseph and Mary are in deep need, and they're going to receive significant help, substantial help. They're giving according to God's expectations. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. You know, this temple complex is some 35 acres. It's, it's huge. And it just so happened that Simeon, who's been waiting for, for something that God is going to do. He's just got a sense from the Holy Spirit. He knows that something's up. It just so happens that Simeon runs into Joseph and Mary this Holy Spirit ordained meeting represented a change of the guard of sorts. It was a picture of a world that was passing away, this law-based world. Michael Card points out that Simeon was representative of the Old Testament world in which faith was expressed primarily by waiting for God to make good on His promises. Before Simeon, Faith meant waiting like Abraham, like the whole nation was waiting for God to redeem them through the Messiah. After him, after Simeon, faith will mean following Jesus. At this moment, the old world is meeting and embracing the new, even as Simeon takes this baby into his arms. Which the text doesn't necessarily tell us, but we assume that that's the case. At least that's the way the Christmas plays show it. He's embracing the new that God is doing. Simeon was about to speak better than he understood. Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do... Well, he did. the text does tell us that, I'm sorry. ...to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your, your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light... For revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, this is huge. Right in the temple, right in the Jewish temple, Simeon, whom everyone acknowledges as a righteous and devout man, <laughs> is loudly proclaiming that Jesus will be a blessing to the Gentiles. It's significant. Verse 33 And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. No doubt. Most people give a brief nod to the incarnation this time of year. Christmas. We just sort of like, okay, time of year for special things to happen. Cool, this is all good. (laughs) Joseph and Mary would spend the rest of their lives contemplating the mystery of the incarnation, just like we're going to Do briefly, in just a few moments, we're going to contemplate together out loud the mystery of the incarnation and what it means to us. Over and over, Joseph and Mary were amazed at what was happening. Amazed at what God had called this insignificant, seemingly insignificant couple to do. But the heart of the gospel was about to be addressed. Not directly. Because none of us can handle all of the gospel all at once. It's a process. The people who study these kinds of things. Say that you have to hear the gospel 7 to 10 times before it takes root in your mind. Now look the Holy Spirit. We don't get it apart from the Holy Spirit. But we can observe the ways that God works. And most people have to hear the gospel. And sometimes it just comes in snippets. Look, I feel like whenever I'm sharing the gospel, my desire is to go down the Roman road and, you know, tell it the whole thing and say, do you get it, do you get it, do you get it? Please understand and please believe. But but maybe one of the reasons that God says in Corinthians that one sows and one waters... But God gives an increase is for us to realize that we're just part of the process in sharing the gospel. Now we can take that word and go way too far the other way and and look I 'm going, going to share as much of the gospel as I can, but you know what I have learned over the years It took me a long time to realize this that Very few people, the first time they hear the gospel or they're really ready to listen to the gospel, are going to get it all. And also, I've learned that just because they don't make a profession of faith, that that, that does not by any means mean that they won't make a profession of faith. It's a process, oftentimes. So here's Simeon speaking Better than he knows. Verse thirty four. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Now that's first of all, that's that's it's kind of strange because the Messiah is just going to make everything right in Israel, correct? Uh, not according to Simeon. No, this child, many are going to come up, many are going down within the nation of Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now isn't it interesting that the gospel is in parentheses. We, we put it there. I mean the, the original writers didn't put it there. But it's, but it's a parenthetical thought. He's saying, and by the way Mary. Because of this boy. A sword is going to pierce. Your soul. What's he referring to? To what is Simeon referring? Jesus' death. And an absolute horrific death in which Mary assumes the permanent loss of her son. She's saying it's over and it's over in the most horrific way imaginable. But Jesus' resurrection is going to bring unspeakable joy. To all who follow Jesus and he'll give hope, the hope of eternal life that cannot be destroyed. No matter the difficulties that threaten to damage our perfect world that is, after all, passing away. If your world is just as perfect as it possibly can be right now, it's not going to be for long. It just won't. How many old people do you know that wake up dancing and go to bed dancing? Not many. This life is hard. It takes its toll. Beats us down. So our hope is not in everything being perfect. And this time of year, look, when people are sick, it's awful. And this time of year, when you're reminded that your family is more dysfunctional than most families, and every family is dysfunctional. It just hurts a little more. Well, don't focus on the hurt. We're all broken. Focus on the hope that's in Jesus. Even though Simeon spoke of deep pain the day he met Jesus, there was considerable rejoicing. Look at verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel. How would you like to be named Phanuel? Of the tribe of Asher. Redemption is here. By the way, 84, and what did she do? Hardly left the temple. She couldn't stay in the temple overnight. Women were not allowed to. So just, just essentially, <clears throat> Luke is saying that she was there all the time. All the time that she could be. Look, if if you are older and you're tired, you've served the Lord faithfully for all these years. <clears throat> You have done a wonderful service to the kingdom, and we honor you. We desperately need you to be praying day and night look i don't expect you back there with the kids you know doing nursery duty, but God just has different assignments for us at different times of life, doesn't he we We desperately need the prayers. Of our older brothers and sisters. And some of them tell me on a regular basis how much they pray. And I can't tell you what a blessing that is to all of us. We need to be praying for them. Those who are not serving, not able to serve like they used to because of physical conditions. um, And just the, the, the years of their lives. Be praying for them. Well, a, a very devout old man and a very devout old woman both proclaimed redemption in Jesus. So, are we worthy of death? Yes. What's our hope? Someone died for us in our place. The hope in Jesus that was expressed on that day continues even in the most difficult of circumstances. On December 19th of 1944, from a prison cell at Gestapo headquarters quarters in Berlin, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a Christmas letter to his fiancée, Maria von Wiedemeyer. Bonhoeffer was in prison because of the discovery of his role in the plot to assassinate Hitler, and as you can imagine, conditions weren't pleasant for Bonhoeffer when he wrote these words. I'm so glad to be able to write you a Christmas letter, and through you, to convey my love to my parents and my brothers and sisters, and to thank you all. Our homes will be very quiet at this time. Ours won't, but you you know what he means. But I've often found that the quieter my surroundings, the more vividly I sense my connection with you all. It's as if, in solitude, the soul develops organs of which we are hardly aware in everyday life. So I haven't for an instant felt lonely and forlorn. You yourself, my parents, all of you, including my friends and students on active service, are my constant companions. Your prayers and kind thoughts, passages from the Bible, long forgotten conversations, pieces of music, books, all are invested with life and reality as never before. I live in a great unseen realm of whose real existence I am in no doubt. The old children's songs about the angels says two to cover me, two to wake me, and we grown ups Are no less in need than children of preservation. Night and morning by kindly unseen powers. So you mustn't think I'm unhappy. Anyway, what do happiness and unhappiness mean? They depend so little on circumstances and so much more on what goes on inside us. I'm thankful every day to have you. You and all of you. And that makes me cheerful. We've now been waiting for each other for almost two years, dearest Maria. Don't lose heart. Unfortunately, Dietrich and Maria were never to enjoy the marriage that they had planned and hoped for. And what, you know, so many things that make it tragic from our perspective. Maria's parents blocked the wedding. They would have been married earlier, but their parents, Bonhoeffer was much older than his fiancée, and they said, no, 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 this is just not right. And then, for for the rest of their lives, regretted that decision. Um, And it was one of Hitler's last orders that prevented not only that union, but from Bonhoeffer blessing the world with his rich theological wisdom and his passionate service to mankind. For many more decades, we would lose this man at a young age, this man who wrote The Cost of Discipleship. You can't believe the way Bonhoeffer, if you read his biography, uh, especially Eric Metaxas' biography, is just, just One of the best things you could do, read that biography. Here is a man who stood against liberal theology. Almost all the churches in Germany just went with Hitler and essentially preached the gospel of Nazism, not Bonhoeffer. And he went so far as to say, we have to stop this monster, and he was jailed. And ultimately executed. The executioners were impressed with the way that Bonhoeffer died. Trusting his soul to the one who judges. Justly. You will recall Simeon's words when he saw Jesus. Words that he didn't really understand. He didn't understand what he was saying. But he said in effect. Because this baby will die. I can now die in peace. Because Jesus died, I can die in peace. And that's the only way we can die in peace, at peace. Is to put our trust in the one who died in our place. That was true for Bonhoeffer. When you read the account of his death by hanging, you sense very much, and uh, by the executioner who, who, who was interviewed, you you sense that Bonhoeffer died at peace, not with resolve, not with resignation, but he died at peace. Not I could do this, not with okay. But he said, All right, this is God's will. He had so much to live for. And this camp was going to be freed within days, maybe hours, of his execution. And he died at peace. In Bonhoeffer's Christmas letter to Maria, he included his last poem, the final stanza of which says, Come now, highest feast, on the way to everlasting freedom, death. Lay waste the burdens of chains and walls which confine our earthly bodies and blinded souls that we see at last what here we could not see. Freedom, we sought you long in discipline, action, and suffering. Dying, we recognize you now in the face of God. In a place of weakness, Bonhoeffer contemplated the incarnation and all the works of God, and he was nourished. Some of you are in a place of extreme weakness when you desperately want life to be good. But this life is passing, and if you will set your heart on Jesus Christ, you will be nourished. If you find yourself facing death sooner than you would have thought or desired, you can die in peace. Because Jesus came to die for you. Not everybody's going to get well. Not everybody's going to make it. And it may be you. This time next year. Who's not going to make it. But God will heal. Yes and God can keep our brothers and sisters in Saudi Arabia and North Korea. And East Africa from being martyred. But he doesn't always choose to. It's a broken world. What's our hope? That we can die in peace because of Jesus. So let's together contemplate this mystery of the incarnation. What does it mean? We, we need someone to do the microphones. What does it mean um, that Jesus came to this earth? What does it mean to you? Look, you can give a testimony in any way that you want, and we won't take too long because of the long-winded preacher, but um we but especially if if you think about what it means that Jesus came for you, that would be a that would be an awesome testimony to hear. Maybe you could tell us what you're expecting for Christmas this year, you know, something like that, I mean. Okay, Kathy. Wait, Kathy. Wait, wait. We've got to get your mic up. Kathy and Dexter Wells, some of the newest members of our family.
1: The mystery is that it is a mystery. And to to explain to someone who has not embraced it has to come from the Holy Spirit. There's no other way because it doesn't make sense. But when you go through things and you know that you have not been through those things alone and that you have a literal person i think we forget the holy spirit is a person that lives inside of us that encompasses our body and is feeling what we feel and when i'm suffering with a migraine and vertigo i don't know how he stands it but he, he's still there and um i'm not bragging and this means nothing except it's a fact i was with barbara I was to take her to get her blood work. That was the the extent of my help for her on Friday. And she called me early and said, can you come and get me? I'm very sick, and they want me there right away. And James, I hope you don't mind me saying all this, but we were in the the lab, and they had come to tell her how sick she was, and she should have come that morning instead. And she says, I don't know if I can go through this again. I took a picture out, and she asked me to pray, so I was sobbing and praying. There was no other way to pray. And um, I showed her a picture of my youngest son and his two children, and she looked at it, and she said, this is why I have to live, because I'm going to have grandchildren. And it was just the most amazing, because any of you that know Barbara, I've known her for a very long time. She is what you see. I'm assuming, James, except when you're bad, that she's just like that all the time. And she has meant so much to me over the last 20 years that I've known her. We've only connected sporadically. That's what's been so amazing. And yet she touches my life every single time. And she will make it through this, and she will be a blessing to somebody else on down the road. But what I witnessed with her Friday was much of the mystery of the Incarnation.
0: It's it is indeed what Jesus has done. You should know that Kathy has chronic migraines and vertigo. I mean, it's just almost unending and please pray for her. And I've known Dexter and Kathy for a long, long time. Um, Barbara Stevens, most of you are just getting to know Barbara. Barbara's one of those people that when you say, Do you know Barbara Stevens? they go they they always pause before they say anything. Because you just she's just like it's like Yes, she is an amazing person. Barbara is, and we have the privilege of coming alongside of these families that are recently, they're new with us. James, uh, Barbara, and Gary's son. And Gary, James, we can say same types of things about them. We have the privilege of coming alongside of them. But it's because of the hope they have, and we have in Jesus, that we'll trust God. But we're praying for complete deliverance. Thank you, Kathy. Someone else would like to share what it means to you at this mystery of incarnation. The fact that God became flesh.
1: Maybe stating the obvious, but uh, I'm just always uh, impressed by the fact... What Jesus left when he left heaven to come down here, Uh, just all of the, you know, we can't imagine of just, I can't think of a better word than blessings that uh, he had and was willing to give up, and not only losing some blessings, but gaining a whole lot of negatives in terms of blessings and suffering and dying and and all of that, and uh, so that's just a thought.
0: That is a, a, an overwhelming mystery and blessing all at the same time that Jesus, he didn't give up his divinity, but he gave up the privileges of his deity, of his, he gave up the privileges of his, of his powers, and he embraced or he accepted this flesh with all of its weakness. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Someone else. You're making a liar of me. They were saying. Well you know there's that awkward. I said not lately boy. Everybody's testifying lately. So.
2: Um, the thing that you said about dying in peace. Um, it's not just for that person to die in peace. But for their families to know that they are in a better place. And so we can, we don't have to worry about where they went because we know that they died in peace and they are now in peace.
0: Yes, and in f- fact, what a beautiful reminder of 1 Thessalonians 4. We <clears throat> don't grieve as those who have no hope. When someone that we love knows Jesus, we know they are in better place than we are. Joel?
2: Well, uh, those of you that know me, I could sit and talk forever. I really could. But uh, honestly, like Pastor said, uh, I'm a law enforcement officer. But uh, a lot of people don't know about me is uh, the greatest thing the, the, this season means to me is a God of second chances. Just like he gave to the, the, the Gentiles and, and gave us an opportunity. Uh, I, I don't come from a background of church-going folks. Uh, I, I don't come from a, a background of law enforcement people. Uh, exactly. Actually, my family comes from the exact opposite <laughs> side. <laughs> I mean, no, really. Like when I went home and said, hey, I've been saved. And, a few, and then uh, a couple years ago, when I went home, they said, oh, I'm a cop now. And people were like, what? You, you do. Wh-? But uh, a God of second chances. And just remember, and, and this is just something the Lord's laying in my heart right now everyone that you run into, everyone that you have an opportunity to, to touch or affect, you may be that second chance for them you may be that only light that 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 they ever see in their life. So never forget that, you know. We're supposed to be salt and light to this world and 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 offer that opportunity of a second chance because he offered it to all of us. Amen.
0: Well, there must be roast in the oven. That's quite all right. Let us these next couple of days, indeed, contemplate. You another word from Lee? No, it's all right. <laughs> and be one, be one in the same. It is. It's one of the things that we Protestants don't do very well: is to accept and appreciate. Mystery. It doesn't mean that it's mysterious, but it does mean it's beyond our understanding. Many things have been made known to us. Mystery, in fact, in the New Testament means a truth that was previously hidden but has now been revealed, almost always revealed in Christ. Even still, even still, how it works is a mystery to us. And we do well when we stay grounded and rooted in Scripture but when we contemplate all that it means that God became flesh. Well, <clears throat> let's pray. And as we pray, the band will come and we'll sing this blessing of the, of the mystery, this blessed mystery, one time and then we'll be gone. <clears throat> Our Father... Um, how can so much pain and so much peace and so much joy abide in the same heart? There is pain, ultimately, for all who walk this earth. There is only true joy in the hearts of those who know Jesus. We confess our weakness and Also, offer a sacrifice of praise to you. Thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand together?
2: Now, unto the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Never. Amen. Go in peace.